Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Those of you that have been going to this church for a while know this about me. And I can't use tools. And, and, and not only am I not good with tools, like, like I shouldn't be using tools, okay, because especially power tools. Uh, I found, though, that even hammers are dangerous. <laughs> Screwdrivers that slip off of the screw, also very, very dangerous, okay? I have other gifts and abilities. I can preach. Like you could bring a tool in, and I could preach on that tool for a half hour, but I probably wouldn't be able to use it properly, Okay, I have tools, but I'm just not very good at it. What we've been talking about for the past few weeks is tools that we need to be successful in life. And that's not necessarily a tool that we hold in our hand, but it's tools that we hold in our, in our heart. Now, tools that we hold in our hand are important. Now, some of you are very, very good with tools, and I know who you are. That's why I keep asking you to do stuff. Okay, So you're doing it for the Lord, and you're also doing it to keep the pastor safe. So this is a win-win here. So I'm going to ask you, what is a, some of you that are good with tools, what is your favorite tool? And it doesn't have to be like building. It can be any type of tool that, that you're good at. Uh, anybody, before I call on you. Steve? A drill. Is that your favorite tool? Just about everything. Good, a drill. Good, good. Somebody else? Yeah. Lawnmower, that's a great tool. Oh, that I like to use. I haven't hurt myself. I have run it into trees and things like that because, because uh, I, I thought that it turned tighter than it actually did. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. We, we have a big mower now, one of those zero-turn deals at the church, and it has the, the metal thing over it, which I always forget about and try to go under trees that that thing's sticking up with, and that thing jacks up on me. I have issues. What am I going to tell you? Somebody else, Tools. An electric ratchet. Nice. 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 I like that. I think of race cars uh, with that. Nice. Anybody watch Formula One? Okay. Never mind. Good. Hello? Hello? How about NASCAR? Anybody watch NASCAR? A little bit? A little bit of NASCAR? Their pit stops are maybe eight to ten seconds. Formula One, they're three. Three seconds. Boop. Done. Amazing. Amazing. Did you get all that? Somebody else, favorite tool? Yes. A na- they let you use a nail gun? I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you, and I just want to be kind to you from now on. A nail gun? Now, that sounds very, very dangerous. I haven't seen Phil in a while. Just kidding. <laughs> Somebody say something over here. A sewing machine. Oh, that's a good tool. Very good tool. Yeah. A skillet is <laughs> very near and dear. A sledgehammer or a pickaxe. Yeah. Wow, that sounds scary. Duct tape. Yeah, duct tape. If it moves and it shouldn't, duct tape. If it doesn't move and it should, 
WD-40, exactly, exactly. It's all you need. All right, I brought my favorite tool. Anybody know what this is? It's a chainsaw for people that shouldn't use a chainsaw. It's called an alligator lopper. Look. I didn't even bring the power source because I didn't want to cut my arm off in front of everybody. But, but this, is, this is a tool that I love because it would be very, very difficult to hurt myself. Because you need to hold on to both angles and then you put the little thing in there. Now, this isn't for cutting down trees. Richie DeMarco, years ago, 20, 21 years ago, uh, wanted to teach me how to use a chainsaw. About two minutes in, he said, eh, you better stick to preaching. And so that's, that's why I still have all of my limbs and everything. But this is my favorite, favorite tool. And I use it to cut limbs and stuff for a fire. So does anybody else have one of these? No, it's cute. It's cute, huh? <laughs> that's enough out of you, Hallmark boy. So <laughs> do you hear me? I've been saving that one for when I needed it, so today was the day. Tools. We need tools to get the job done. Listen, to be successful in life, you need tools. Ecclesiastes 10.10 has been our theme verse. Skill will bring success. It's not just desire. It's not just determination. We need the skills that we need, and we need the tools that we need to be successful in life. And again, I couldn't teach you how to build anything because I really can't do it. I can't even put, like, Ikea stuff together. That would be way beyond me, okay? But what I can help you with is to give you some tools based on the Word of God that will help you be successful in things that will last for a long period of time. And so that's what we're doing, toolbox for success in life. Now, last week and the week before, we talked about where do we get our values And we can get our values from ourselves. That's a bad idea because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. We can get our values from the world. That's a bad idea because the world values temporal things, looking good, feeling good, and collecting the goods. That's the world's values. But we need to get our values from the word. And our values will determine what matters most to us. So the, 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 the tool we're talking about is determining what matters most to us because we can't do everything. And if you try to do everything, you end up doing nothing of significance. It's spinning your wheels fast but not going anywhere. And unfortunately, I'm not thinking of any one person in particular, and I'm really not, but I've seen people in their lives, they're so busy, and yet they're not getting anything accomplished. They're running here, there, and everywhere, and and busier than God ever designed them to be. God built Sabbath into the scheme of things for a reason. And I've found that sometimes people are just busy with busy work because they haven't determined what really matters in life. And then when something matters and something's important, they don't have the energy or the strength to do it. So determining our values and determining what matters most is so important. The second thing is what's going to last the longest. Short-term decisions can have long-term consequences. Isn't that true? Short-term decisions can have long-term consequences. Now, I want to talk to some of our uh, younger people here today, and some of you are in the cafe. I know that you're there, and I hope that you're listening. Pastor Roe, Dave, and others, the leaders there, make sure they're listening to this. You can make decisions as a teenager that will affect the rest of your life. Be careful. 
Be careful. We're going to talk a lot about that today because it's so very important in our lives. Today we're going to look at three more aspects of what matters most. Will I choose the easy way or the best way? Will I choose the easy way or the best way? And then the next one is, is it worth the price? Is it worth the price? So let's start with this concept of, will I choose the easy way or will I choose the best way? Now, every day we make thousands of decisions, hundreds of decisions. I like this this morning prayer. Someone said, dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm really, really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more of your help. That's a morning prayer. The first decision we have to make every day is to get out of bed. And you think, oh, that's neat. No, no. I don't know about you today. I don't know if it's still raining, but when I, it it, it was just dark and rainy and comfortable. And the, the blankets were especially soothing. And I told Dora, I'm not going. She goes, you have to go. You're the pastor. You have to go. You only work an hour a week, and this is it. (laughs) But our bed can get very comfortable, and I use this as a simple analogy that the longer you stay in bed, the longer you want to stay in bed. See? And it's a temptation to do the easy thing instead of the right thing and the best thing. Now, what would happen if we extended that out just to make a, uh, you know, an extreme case here, someone that won't get out of bed will have no job, no money, no life. There are consequences, but they didn't start that way. They didn't start that way. This morning, I want to look at how the enemy, the devil, Satan, and his temptations tempt us to take the easy way instead of the best way. And we're going to start right at the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read it, and uh, you can read along on your phone or in your Bible your tablet, however it is that you do that. Don't let not carrying the Bible as a book, don't let that be an excuse for not reading the Word of God. Okay, you need to read the Word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? See that, did God really say? say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And Satan says in verse 4, oh, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan used doubt to tempt Adam and Eve. He caused them to doubt the very character and nature of God. Now watch this. All sin is an affront to the nature of God. And I'll give you a couple quick examples. Thou shalt not kill or murder. Why? Because God is a God of life. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because God is a God of provision. He will give you what you need. Okay? Thou shalt not covet. Why? Because he's given you everything that you need. You don't have to desire more than what he's given you. It's all about his nature and his character. And so what does Satan go after first? 
the nature and character of God. Well, God didn't say that. And the reason, it, it, the reason if he did say that is, is because he's withholding something good from you. And so if God is withholding something good from you, that means God isn't good. See? And so temptation began with doubting the character and the nature of God. Can I just talk to you this morning that God, for those of us that have been in church for a long time, the temptations get different. Okay, maybe before Christ, alcohol was a temptation, and through Christ, that's not a temptation anymore. And that's, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Or whatever else was a temptation to us, it changes as we're uh, Christians longer. But guess what the enemy still does? He still goes after the nature and the character of God. Here's how he plays out now. If God is good, then why am I sick? If God is good, then why hasn't he answered my prayers yet? It's still temptation from Jesus, or from, from Satan against Jesus, because Satan is still tempting us to bring doubt into our lives about the character and the nature of God. So the schemes of the enemy, in second, I think it's 2 Corinthians 9, um, let me see, 2 Corinthians 2, 7. His schemes, we're aware of them, and the reason is, is because his schemes haven't changed, which I'm going to show you. Now, verse 6 now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Now, let me draw your attention. Saw and good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it, ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Here's how Satan tempts us from Genesis to today. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. He hasn't changed his schemes. He doesn't have to because they still work. Same schemes, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Look how he did it in Adam and Eve. And I consider them both fallen sinners. We're not going to place more blame on one than the other or whatever. Adam was standing there, okay? Lust of the eyes, she saw, and it was pleasing to her eye. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, she saw that it was good for food. Pride of life. It was desirable to gain wisdom and be like God. Those three temptations are the schemes that the devil used to get them to take the easy way instead of the best way. Now, that's at the beginning of the book. At the end of the book, in 1 John, right before the book of Revelation, the apostle John writes this, For the world offers only a craving for sinful pleasure, physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. They are not from the Father, but from this world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Satan still works in those ways. Adam and Eve took the easy way, and we're suffering the consequences of it still today because Adam was our father, and then his sin nature is passed on through generations through childbirth. Now watch. He is the first man, and everyone on earth today comes from Adam, not from apes. From Adam, not from apes. God created Adam and Eve in his own image. Now, I'm not a debater and I'm not a philosopher, and I, I don't debate some of these things. What I am is a preacher, and what I say is, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the word of God. 
And am I going to trust the scientists or am I going to trust the Savior? See, science doesn't speak. Scientists speak. And there's a big difference. I believe in the Word. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in the Savior that we came from Adam and not from apes. And since we come from Adam, that sin nature is inside of us. That's why you don't have to teach a little child to sin. When was the first time your child deliberately disobeyed you? Early on in the process. When is the, time, when is the, the first time your child has tried to usurp parental authority over you? At the very beginning. It's called sleep. I don't want to sleep, and you're not going to sleep. <laughs> this is why... We raised our children, and I love other people's babies. I love to hold them and dedicate them and love them. And then the parents can have them because I like to sleep. <laughs> but when is the first time? Why? Because they're born with sinful nature. When is the first time your kid will look right at you and lie? Let's say Joey. Or sorry. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be Joey. I had a Joey. There's... Only three people in the house, dad, mom, and Joey. Joey, did you color on the wall? Oh, no. No. <laughs> I'm like a private investigator. Dory, did, did you color on the wall? No. Well, I didn't color on the wall. Why will children lie straight to your face at the earliest possible age? Because they were born with the sin nature. That's why. That's why every human being needs a Savior. See? Needs a Savior. That's why the gospel has to go out. That's why we have to fill those shoeboxes, not with just our love, but with the love of Jesus. That's why we have to pray over them, that someone else's life would be touched like that little, I got chills now. And now look what happened. She's multiplying it many times over because some little girl somewhere said, Jesus loves you and I love you too. And only heaven will reveal all of that. See, we're born with this sinful nature. And so the enemy knows how to tempt us. And the same things still work. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Adam and Eve brought sin and sickness. But that's not the rest of the story. I know someone. He's the Savior. His name is Jesus. And while Satan tried the same schemes, Jesus defeated Satan shall we say, at his own game and won victory. So let's turn now to Matthew. So we have Adam and Eve that yielded to temptation. Now we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, now watch this. Watch this now. Jesus had just been baptized in water. Holy Spirit fell upon him. God the Father spoke. John had just declared him the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the very next thing he faces is temptation by the devil. And here's why I'm telling you this. Don't think you'll ever reach a place in your Christian walk that the devil won't try to tempt you. Jesus had just come from a spiritually dynamic atmosphere that God had confirmed that he was who he said he was 
and the next thing that happens is temptation. You are never above temptation. In fact, when you think that you are above temptation, you've already fallen to temptation. That's why the Bible says be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. See? If you think that you're above it, then you've already yielded to temptation. So here was Jesus, the Son of God, led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God. Okay, what's the first thing he did in Adam and Eve? Doubt. What's the first thing he uses here to tempt Jesus? Doubt. If you are the Son of God. Your father just said, uh, behold the Son of, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now what does the enemy do? Brings doubt immediately. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. That would have been the easy way because Jesus was hungry 40 days. That would have been the easy thing, but it wasn't the best thing. And I'll tell you this before I forget it. See, what the enemy was trying to do was to get Jesus to sin so that he'd never make it to the cross. All of this is about keeping Jesus from the cross. Because if he ever yielded to the temptation of Satan, then he wouldn't have been worthy of the cross and we'd still all be dead and lost and heaven would be empty. See? Turn these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus said, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word was his weapon, and the word is your weapon as well. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said this, if you are the son of God, jump off. And then he adds, for the scriptures say, you understand the devil knows scriptures better than you do and better than I do. And he believes them more. There's no more orthodox believer than Satan. But he won't surrender. See? I mean, think about it. Does, does, does Satan believe that God is creator? Yes. Does Satan believe that Jesus is the son of God? Yes. Does Satan believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Does Satan believe that Jesus rose again on the third day? Yes. Does Satan believe that Jesus is coming back someday? Yes. He believes all of that. But he won't surrender. He won't bow to worship the one and only creator. And so he knows scripture. He says, oh, if you're the son of God, jump off. The scripture is saying he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt a foot on your stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Jesus said, get out of here, Satan, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus was tempted in the same way that Adam was and Eve were. And we are lust of the flesh. Turn these stones into bread. Meet your very natural desires. Meet your very natural desires in a way that's outside of God's plan for your life. God gave us these desires. God gave us these needs in our life. 
But there's an easy way and there's the best way. And what I want all of our young people to know is always choose the best way, not the easy way. And those that are more seasoned, I want you to choose not the easy way, but the best way. Because you're still going to be tempted by the enemy to choose the easy way and not the best way. Because he wants to keep you from the relationship with Jesus that we so desperately need in our lives. Jesus has had enough and he said, Satan, get out. He quoted scripture and the devil left. Lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread. Lust of the eyes, all of these kingdoms can be yours. Look at the beauty and the majesty of these kingdoms. They can all be yours. Pride of life, if you are the son of God, prove it. Prove it, show everybody that you are the son of God. It's the same temptations that he used in Adam and Eve, but there's something different. The first Adam fell, but the second Adam, Jesus, was victorious. And here's the good news I want to tell you. You can be victorious over every single temptation because we live not for victory, but from victory. See, he died on the cross. He waited on the crown that Satan wanted to give him as king of the world because he knew he had to go through the cross first. The cross wasn't the easy way, but it was the best way. And thankfully for all of us, Jesus chose the the best way that he could have received the earthly crown and missed the cross and we would be lost. But instead, he rejected the earthly crown and he willingly went to the cross and accepted our sin and our shame that we can have victory through Jesus Christ over every temptation in our life. We don't have to fight for for victory. We're fighting from victory because Jesus has already won the battle. He's already won the war, I should say. This battle that we're in to fight temptation, we are victorious through Jesus Christ. And how do we overcome these temptations? First of all, be led by the Spirit of God and not by our own fleshly desires. That's in Galatians 5. You'll have to look that up on your own. You have a choice. Follow the flesh, follow the Spirit. Flesh is easy. Following the Spirit is best. You decide. Be led by the Spirit of God. Fight with the Word of God, not with your own wisdom. Fight with the word of God, not with your own wisdom. Can I tell you this? The devil's smarter than you. He's trickier than you. His schemes are above you, but they're not above the word of God. See? Know the word of God. Fight with the word of God. And to overcome his temptation, trust in Father God. Be led by the Spirit. Fight with the word of God and trust in Father God. Because your father knows what's best. How many have raised teenagers? That was a hard time because teenagers know everything about everything. I know you're listening now in the cafe. I just caught your attention, didn't I? That's right. That's right. Even though you're looking at your phone, you're still listening. See? It's hard raising teenagers because they know everything, but in reality, they don't. (laughs) Isn't that funny? And you can see 
because you've gone through that, you can see that. Okay, let me put it this way. I used to teach um, uh, uh, in a Christian school when I started out in ministry. I was a youth pastor taught in a Christian school. And the kids would try to get something over on me. And you know what I would think? Oh, my gosh, was I that stupid? Did I think the teachers were that stupid? Because I tried the same exact things. They think, oh, I'm going to get over on the teacher. Any of you that are in education know this is true. I'm going to get over on it. The teacher's like, really? See, the child thinks they know better than the parent. We have to be careful that we as children of God don't think we know better than Father God. Because Father God knows what's best. And even what he prohibits us from doing, it's for our protection and provision. Even what he prohibits us from doing is for our protection and provision. He always has what's best in mind for us. And he knows that if we just take the easy way and follow the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, we'll fall and we'll suffer consequences, terrible consequences, which leads me to my next point. And this is the last point, and it won't be as long as the first. And all God's people said, that's good. Too much of an amen might have hurt my feelings, but. When you're determining what matters most, when you're in the middle of temptation, you have to ask yourself this question, is it worth the price? Is it worth the price? Now watch, I'm taking you back. You still with me? So watch, we started Adam and Eve. They fell. To Jesus, he was victorious. Back to the consequences of taking the easy way, back to Adam and Eve. Okay? Watch the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, taking the easy way. Then the eyes, this is verse 7 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame entered their life for the first time. And then they tried to fix it themselves. You know, that's what religion is outside of a relationship with Jesus, that we'll try to fix this problem by ourselves. You know, prayer, prayer will save you if you call out to God to save you, but prayer in itself, reciting a certain prayer is not going to save you. Attending church is not going to save you. Giving is not going to save you. Being baptized in water is not going to save you. Attending the events of the church is not going to save you. What's going to save you is the grace of God that you receive through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. See? We can't, and and what, what, what salvation says is, 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 I have sinned and I can't fix it myself. I can't do anything about it. And so I need a savior and that savior ain't me. And you find that Jesus is the only savior. If you believe there's another savior, then you're not a Christian. You're religious, but you're not a Christian. If you believe there are many ways to get to God, you're religious, but you're not a Christian. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Peter, when he was preaching, there is no other name by which man shall be saved. If you are a Christian, this is what you believe. I was a wicked, terrible sinner that needed a Savior and that Jesus is the only Savior because he's the only one that died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day and still bears the scars of his sacrifice. 
That Jesus, will you forgive me? And he says, yes. That Jesus, will you cleanse me of all of my sins? And he says, yes. That's what it means to be a Christian. They tried to cover their own sin and shame, and that never works. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? Stop. The greatest verse in all of Scripture is Genesis 3.9. We would never get to John 3.16 if not for Genesis 3.9. Here they were hiding from God, but God pursued them. He had an option. I'll be careful on the theology of this, but let's just play this out. God had an option to take the easy way and say, I'm done with humanity. Or the hard way, I'm going to pursue humanity even if it costs my son his life. And God chose to pursue Adam and Eve. Can I tell you more good news? God chose to pursue you and call you by name. Even though you did what was wrong, he still loves you. He's not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. And he's not given up on you. God pursued them. He didn't give up on them. God won't give up on you. Don't give up on God. Let me keep going. He answered, Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Another consequence of doing what is wrong is fear. If you were to look up the context of this verse, perfect love casts out all fear. What's that talking about is the fear of judgment. See, sin makes us fearful of judgment and fear enters our lives because we think that we're going to have to pay for our sins. But perfect love has this understanding that Jesus paid for your sins. You don't have to. But when did fear enter in? When did shame enter in? When they sinned, when did fear enter in? When they sinned. Which takes us back to this question, is it worth the price? Is doing the easy thing worth the price? Watch this next part here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wind down. And he said, I'm not trying hard, but I'm trying. And he said, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knew what they did. He didn't have to pursue them. They were hiding from God. Isn't that funny? They saw the creation of God better than any other human ever. They had more fellowship, un, un, uh, like without any sin, fellowship with God. The word's not coming to me now. And, and they thought that they could hide. Here's what else sin brings. Stupidity. Write that down. Sin makes you stupid. Because they thought they could hide. God didn't need to look. He, he didn't have to ask, did you do this? He knew man needed to say it. Man needed to say it. Man needed to admit it's sin. 
just like you and just like me. But that's not what Adam does. First opportunity, verse 12, the man said, you know, the woman you put here, She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam blames God and he blames Eve. And men have been doing it ever since. That was a high-pitched amen. Did you catch that? He blames God. This is the woman you gave me. This is your fault. This is your fault. And it's her fault. Can't be my fault. The reality is is it is our fault. Okay. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, oh, the devil made me do it. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. I didn't have a choice. The reality is they did. They had free will and they had the word of God. Jesus, when he was on earth, had free will and he had the word of God. Now watch this. Adam and Eve brought sin and death. Jesus brings life and salvation because he overcame the enemy. And lastly, Jesus brings you victory. The enemy knows where your temptation lies. That's why you're constantly confronted with it. He, he knows your weakest parts because he's seen your life. He's seen the decisions that you've made in the past, and therefore he'll tempt you with them all over again. Okay? That's how he works. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Schemes never change. That's how he works. But here's the difference now. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we are victorious. And we can overcome every temptation that the enemy presents to us, not because we're strong, but because he's strong. Not because we're victorious in ourselves, but because he was victorious on the cross. He defeated sin, and he rose from the grave, and he de de defeated death, and we share in that victory with him. So we have to determine in life, we have a lot of decisions we have to make. You can't do everything. You have to decide what matters most. You have to decide where you're going to get your values. From yourself, bad idea. From the world, bad idea. From the word, the word of God. What's going to last the longest? What's the consequence of this decision? Will I choose the easy way or will I choose the best way to determine what matters most and how I'm going to live my life? Is it worth the price? Is it worth the price? It's worth it to serve Jesus, and it's not worth it to serve the devil. That's it. And if you're tempted to operate outside of God's will, it's from the devil, not from above. God has a wonderful plan for your life and a wonderful purpose for your life, and the enemy wants to keep you from that. And he'll do all this stuff that we talked about in your life, and you know it. But we have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. 
For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.